If we don't get Adam 2 right, we'll never get Adam 1 right. If we don't get rest right, we'll never get work right. If we don't get Sunday right, we'll never get Monday right. Welcome to the 9 to 5 podcast, conversations with Christians about lives of faith, integrity, and excellence at work. They are from Christians in Commerce, a ministry supporting and encouraging men and women to be Christ in their workplaces. We hope you enjoy this episode. So let's start this part of our ongoing conversation with Dr. Michael Naughton by joining it where he begins to talk about integrating our work life with our faith life. David Brooks uh, has written a really interesting book, um, and I would encourage the hearers of this podcast would uh, uh, read it. It's called uh, The Road to Character. And there you see he gets all these uh, stories of individuals where you start to see how these things operate. But what's really interesting about the book is Brooks is using a, a, a Jewish rabbi. His name is Joseph Soloveitchik. And he's going back to Genesis and the story of the creation story. And what Soloveitchik and what Brooks uses is that the create, there's not just one creation story, there's two. And in the first creation story, man, God creates man to have to subdue and have dominion over the earth. It is the creative Adam, right? It's the worker Adam, the entrepreneurial Adam. It's the Adam to get things done. In the second creation story, Adam is placed within the garden, and he is told to, in a sense, till it, to keep it, right? He puts Adam to sleep. He takes the rib out of Adam. All these things being done to Adam. This is Adam the receiver, right? This is the Adam uh, that is things are being done to him. This is the kind of spiritual Adam. And what Soloveitchik and Brooks points out is that these two Adams are in us. That's why we have two creation stories, not because they couldn't figure out which one it was. It's to point out that these two dynamisms, this active Adam, this work Adam, and this contemplative receiving Adam is in us. And so what, what do you see in us? What we have to see is that, yes, we have to get things done, and yes, we also have to take time to be contemplative, take time to receive, take time to pray, to receive the word, to receive worship, all those types of things. And then those things have a, the key thing is how do they begin to interact with each other? One of the most interesting things I read in that book that, that, that I remember is his emphasis of the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. Exactly. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, they fit very well with the Adam 1, Adam 2. So Adam 1 is about the resume virtues. It's about what have I achieved. And what happens, right, when we, when we meet people, What's the first thing we ask them to do? So, 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 so what do you do? <laughs> it's often the first question. It's a way to get to know people, but we tend to focus on people's actions. We tend to focus on what have they achieved. And we tend to be rather impressed when they tell us they're vice presidents or presidents or CEOs, when they publish 10 or 15 books, when they, you know, and, and a lot of us, we don't even know that our fundamental mode is resume. <laughs> We're selling ourselves, right? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with, there's times to sell yourself. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm applying for a job, I'm selling myself. I, I want to focus on the resume. But that resume virtue has tended to squeeze out the importance of 
the eulogy virtues, which are about what? They're always about relationships. There's always about that that sense of... Um, there, there's a, a... Cardinal Ratzinger once said that one of the most profound things in our life is not what we've achieved, but what we've accepted. When we've accepted failure, when we've accepted sickness, when we've accepted the critique from our wife who's been telling us for a long time and you finally get it, right? And the deep insights that can occur from that. I mean, it's great. You know, I write books, you know, um, uh, at the Center for Catholic Studies. You know, we're the largest. We have, you know, 250 majors and minors. We have all these institutes. We have all... And, I, and I'm really happy about those things, right? But at the end of the day, the deepest things have often come from that daily silence, that sense of going to worship and receiving the word and hearing it. And, and, and that thing just, that those things that go deep into the soul, that starts to transform me. It also strikes me that when you're very young, too, you're very concerned about the resume virtues because you're, you're concerned about uh, your trajectory ahead of where you're going to end up. But as you grow older, what you really cherish is how the eulogy virtues have been formed in your life. And it most becomes pronounced when you're sitting at a funeral and you look at what people talk about somebody. Exactly. Which is, just seems like a great way of expressing right. what really matters in our life. That's right. And, and, and that's right. So certainly when people, uh, when younger people, obviously I dealing with the students that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm really concerned about their resumes. <laughs> we talk about their achievements. We talk about them selling themselves. But here's, here's the danger. And I've, I've actually had colleagues and I've had seen people write this. They'll say, well, that's all they need to focus on. And they, what they call the, what I call sequencing. And my, even my students saying, you know, all that eulogy stuff, all that receptivity, all that prayer stuff, vocation, whatever it might be, but I got to get a job. And so I'll put that off and let me get that job, you know? And what I often, a colleague of mine once put it this way, you know, what if we did that with eating? Well, I'm just going to eat meat for the next couple of years. And then I'll, and I'll do dairy a couple of years after that. And then I'll maybe get to the fruits, right? And then, and then in 15 years, I'll get to the vegetables, okay? Is that okay? You know, I'll just sequence that. That's idiotic. We know it is. And that's not the way life works. So yes, I have to focus on the resume virtues, but at the same time, I have to focus on these habits of receptivity, these habits of silence, the habits of the Sabbath, of worship, the habits of, of uh, those relationships. And I have to make sure that I've carved out the time. So when I'm young and starting off in a career, I may not have as much time for that, but I better have some of it. Because what will happen is if I don't, it disappears. And then 20 years down the road, you wake up and you say, how did I get here? How did I get here? So this is a very good place to take a break. We'll be back in a moment and we'll explore a little bit more about how we can build these sort of characteristics in our life. If you want to get off on the right foot each morning, you'll probably want to check out Christians in Commerce Workday emails. They're short and informative sent to your inbox early in the morning. Wake up to stories and insights about people transforming their workplace. These daily workday emails inspire and encourage us in living out God's mission. 
where we spend 60% of our waking hours at work. Sign up today by going to workingforourfather.com. So we're continuing a conversation with Dr. Michael Naughton. Uh, well, Mike, let's go back and kind of revisit what we've been talking about, the incarnation and the reality of the Adam 1 and the Adam 2 that you were talking about. And uh, the reality of it is, how do we live this out in practice? Right. Because especially as people of faith living out our, uh, our faith in the workplace, we have to deal with the reality of Adam 1, Adam 2, and the, and the tendency for Adam 1 to dominate over Adam 2, that being the, the doing part of us versus the being part of us. Right. No, that's exactly right, Steve. I mean, and this is what uh, David Brooks's point is, is that Adam 1 dominates, and, and what happens is Adam 2 gets discounted. And this, from certainly from a, a Christian perspective, and even from a deeply human perspective, is not a healthy way to do it. And, and what I would say is, um, what, so as academics, right, at the university, we're always concerned about a thesis. So here's the thesis. If we don't get Adam 2 right, we'll never get Adam 1 right. If we don't get rest right, we'll never get work right. If we don't get Sunday right, we'll never get Monday right. And at the heart of Adam 2, and at the heart of certainly the Christian message, it seems to me, is the reality of the Lord's day. It is the day in which the Lord has made, and it is the day that we receive things. It's the day of an attitude of receptivity. It's not the day where I go and achieve things. The Jews understood this, and this is where Christians need to learn from the Jews. They're, as, as somebody once said, it's not just simply the Jews keep the Sabbath. Rather, it's the Sabbath that keeps the Jews. <laughs> and it's the same thing for us Christians. We talk about being besieged. We talk about Christianity in decline, all those types of things, all which you know we can have debates about and things of that sort. But what's going to keep Christianity intact is not some program. What's going to keep it intact is us reclaiming and keeping the Lord's day. What does that look like? Well, let me, let me personalize it for a moment. When I was in the middle of my career, when I was at the beginning of my career, I came here in 91, starting here, and we started this program called the Center for Catholic Studies, and we were doing that, and it took a lot of work to get the thing going. I was doing a lot of traveling, a lot of writing, and I had a dilapidated house, and I was doing a lot of work on the house, and Sundays was just a mop-up day. I worked in the morning before the kids got up, we went to Mass, we got, had breakfast, and I was often working on the house, and it was, it was seven days a week almost 365 days a year, just one year after the other. And then one day I was giving a talk out in San Francisco and I got a massive anxiety attack and it knocked me on the ground. And I thought, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can go out and public speak. <laughs> I don't know about teaching. It was one of those things that just knocked. And at the same time, my wife and I, uh, while we had a, in one sense a happy marriage, fractures started to occur. Why? Because we never took the time to deal with the problems that we were dealing with. Kids, the same way. And so what happened was a, a, a life without rest often will, you don't break the Sabbath. The Sabbath breaks you. <laughs> That's why you have to obey it. And so one of the things, this, was, this happened, this crisis happened in 1999. And it's 
Providence, it's um, all sorts of different things. But the year 2000 was the year of the Jubilee, which is the year of the rest. And it was interesting. There were a lot of things coming out about the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. I started reading about it. And my wife and I decided at that point that we are now going to take seriously the Lord's Day. So I don't work. We do our best not to shop. We give our technology a break. By the way, I would encourage everybody, turn off your screens on Sunday, right? Become a techno-Sabbatarian, right? You know, let go of the technology, because if you can't do it, it owns you. It's forming you in ways that you have no idea what it's doing to you. So the Lord's Day for me has become one of the most, and, and, and it was my wife who helped me understand this. I don't know if I would have, I wouldn't have even known the anxiety attack. I wouldn't have even seen the problems that she and I were dealing with. If she couldn't, if she, I mean, she, in one sense, she had to clobber me over the head. This is the problem. We've disordered our lives. And, and we didn't even know we were disordering it. So this idea of the Sabbath, the idea of the Lord's Day, and I would say three habits on the Lord's Day. The habit of silence, not just external silence, but internal silence. Shut the tape off, right? I walk to school, and I have the tape going on as I'm walking to school. And I have these debates with my colleagues. By the way, I win every debate. I never lose a debate. I always get the zinger in. And it's all, everyone understands how brilliant I am, right? I'm the unappreciated genius at St. Thomas. If they would just appreciate what I do, right? All these tapes are going to my head. Shut the tape. Because God wants to speak to me. And I'm so busy speaking in my head that God, God's word is not coming in there. Silence is so important. Worship, the habit of worship, right? We are here not for ourselves, <laughs> but we are beholden to. This is why when people say, I'm spiritual but not religious, so I don't go to church. You know, the problem with that, of course, is, by the way, let's be very clear, to be religious without being spiritual is very ugly. <laughs> people who go to church and who are just cranks and who have no spirituality and they're just going through the motions, that's a very ugly thing. But to be spiritual without religion is simply therapeutic and it's not sustainable and it's cheap. What we need to do is we're beholden to something and the Lord's beholding it to us. And the third habit, interesting enough, is, uh, and you see this with Jesus, what does Jesus do on the Sabbath? He heals. And we should be mindful of the poor, the marginalized, the lonely, those who are shut-ins. And Sabbath and Lord's Day should be that day where we should be thinking about other people, particularly those who are on the margins. So those three habits, I think, are the bedrock of Adam too that then provide the ability to order what Adam 1 starts to look like. So the three habits are the habit of stillness, the habit of worship, and the habit of charity, right. thinking about others, that sort of thing. Uh, you're obviously talking about a di very different form of leisure than our culture talks about. Right. Right. I mean, usually when we think about leisure, we're thinking about recreation. And those sorts of things. How does that all fit into sure. what you're talking about? Uh, I would. You're exactly right. Actually, we uh, let me uh, some word issues here. What we really think about when we think of leisure, we think of amusements, right? But it's really interesting the etymology of the word amusement. It's largely for us entertainment, if we want to put it that way. But the word amusement, it comes from the word muses, which is a Greek word of the goddesses of the liberal arts which are meant to refresh you, to 
recreate you, right? To help you see this larger reality. But when you put the word a in front of it, you negate it. If I'm a theist, I believe in God. If I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. Well, when you put the word a in front of muses, in the English Oxford Dictionary, it says this, fourth or five definition, to stare stupidly at something. That's what amusement is. This is my wife's description of me watching television, right? Amusements are those moments not for us to penetrate reality, to receive reality, to be transformed. Amusements are those, those things that we do to escape reality, right? So thus we go to Las Vegas for the weekend, and we say whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But of course, whoever said that should be sued. It's a lie. Because the only thing that stays in Vegas is your money. Everything else comes right back with you. <laughs> it doesn't stay in Vegas, right? Amusements gets us into a lot of trouble. And thus we see the weekend as the escape. It's the escape. And that's not the way the Sabbath is understood or the Lord's Day. Well, you remind me of Pascal talking about how people are like they're running towards a cliff with their hands over their eyes, just filling their lives with distractions and not really reflecting on the the eternal perspective right. and, the, and the basic call that God has to us. No, exactly right. And uh, and how we deal with the weekend. See, we think the weekend is something you know, uh, it's almost somewhat frivolous, but. Uh, I've, I've had people dispute me on this one, so I have to be careful, but uh, I've been told, uh, and I have to find it, because uh, I went looking for it and I couldn't find it, so there might be some truth to this, but Voltaire apparently said that if you want to kill Christianity, um, uh, kill the Sabbath, kill the Lord's Day, right? And so I think the way that we often look at the Lord's Day uh, and again, we Catholics and Protestants and Christians in general do this, particularly for, since I am Catholic, I can just speak as a Catholic. What do we do? We fill up our day and then we squeeze in Mass at the end of it. Thus, we have a five o'clock Mass. And here at St. Thomas, we have what they call the last chance Mass at nine o'clock for our students who can't seem to get up in the morning. Now, there's nothing wrong. I like the last chance Mass. I've actually used it a couple of times, so I'm not. And I love the priest who's there. His name is Father Becker. He's a fantastic preacher, and he really speaks well to those kids. But even for us as families, we get into all these sports programs, we get in all these activities, and, and, and we fill them up. And then we say, oh, yeah, we got to get Mass in. We got to get church in, or we, we do something. So that's not the day. That's not the way the day should be. We, we have not come to it with the right attitude, with the right heart, and with the right habits. So uh, seven days a week, you have six days of work, and then you have one day of Sabbath and rest. Right. But in reality, shouldn't we be bringing Sabbath into the week as well in one way, shape, or form? Right. It seems to me that when we have detached ourselves from our work, when we have worshipped well, and when we have expressed love and concern for those on the margins, all of those things will start to affect and transform the work that we do. And thus, when we come to work, we come to it not with an attitude about, um, uh, you know, I'm here just to get a paycheck. I'm here just to advance my career. I come to that work with an attitude of saying, what is the good I should do here? I'm here to do good. 
and what does that look like? So let me let me highlight concretely what the, what we might call. Yeah, so for those of us in business, or in those of us in any organization, what is the good that business does? Right, that's the question. Anybody going to business, that as a Christian should be first on their mind as they're walking into an organization. And as a leader, what does that look like? So just to wrap up on the whole discussion about proper leisure, leisure, good leisure, what does good leisure look like? Sure. Um, so maybe even me a bit more concrete, what does is, what is the Lord's Day look like, you know, for somebody who wants to take it seriously? And, and key here is that there's no formula, you know, there's no exact formula. Everyone uh, will be in different states of life with different responsibilities, and they have to be mindful of that. Uh, but if I was to give um, a couple of suggestions, one, the first suggestion, this is what my wife does, Teresa, uh, is on Wednesdays, she has a little thing in her calendar saying, think about the Sabbath, think about the Lord's Day. And she just takes about 10 minutes on a Wednesday and says, what does that day start to look like? What should she be thinking about? And so it just helps her to plan a little bit. And so this idea of planning, so we think of leisure as something we just kind of fall into. But actually, if you really want to have good leisure, you got to do a little work. You got to work at good leisure. <laughs> exactly. And I know there's a kind of irony to that, but there's some truth to it. Because what happens is we tend to default to often bad leisure, right? We, if we don't think about it, we tend to default to the things that's easiest for us. Watching a movie, watching a clips, watching Netflix, playing video games, watching six hours of football, whatever it might be. And that's not going to be very helpful. So what does that look like? Uh, in our house, my wife, um, one of the things we do is we, uh, we, we, we decorate our table. And we put either a tablecloth or a runner. And we have a Sabbath candle. It's an oil candle. And we only light it on the Sabbath or in the Lord's Day. And we light it all day long. And we put a cross there with a book, right? And every, when the kids wake up and they come down and they look at that table, they know it's the Lord's Day because the table's different. How do you make the day different? It's not just one more day. It's a different kind of day. And thus, you should do ritualize things that make it a different kind of day. My wife and I also do a, a Lord's Day prayer. And it's a beautiful prayer uh, that she has adapted from other Lord's Day's prayers. It's about putting workday affairs away for a day. Put the anxieties away for the day. Right, and so we wake up, uh, some, and and we pray that prayer. We will often read the scripture for the day, uh, and a lot of times we'll go take a walk. And it depends when their kids were younger; they were usually up with us, and we always had to deal with that. But now, since they're not around, we can take walks, and we go to church. We have a meal together. When the kids are over, we play games together. We think about visiting people when we can. We call parents, we call siblings, we invite people over from church, particularly those who are, you know, maybe singles and things of that sort to get to know them. And so it's a way of kind of filling in the day. And it's not just filling it up, but it's trying to get those three habits in, silence, celebration, charity, right? Versus just amusements. Now, by the way, it's not wrong. My son and I like to watch a little football, but watching six hours of football is not going to be a good day for us. Uh, I even find hard it, I find it hard even to watch one game, 
So what we usually do is we might start watching the beginning of the game and then we turn it off for a while and we wait until the fourth quarter to see what the end of it looks like, right? Or something like that. And and depending on the people, depending on the relationships, it will take different forms. I, I, I want to be clear. I don't think there's just one form, but I do think there's orientations and habits that will make some things better than others. Well, it would seem to me, too, that during different stages of our lives, we have different responsibilities and different uh, priorities that we have to take care of, too. So you have to adapt to the realities of your living situation, your stage of life. Exactly. That's absolutely right. And it's also, don't, you know, all of us need to be careful. We need to challenge ourselves, but we also have to be careful of beating up on ourselves. And so uh, the Lord is, uh, is loving and kind and forgiving, and, and, but he's just going to keep urging us. And so if we are still watching six hours of football and we can't get away from that, okay, maybe it's a problem and I've just got to keep working and see whether I could reduce it down to three, right? I mean, those are all the things, uh, that's the kind of uh, beauty of our faith. Um, the Lord is not an ogre here. Uh, he's a loving God, and, but, he's, but he's demanding God. And he's, and, he's, and, he's, and he's telling us that in order for us to keep faith alive, we have to reclaim the Lord's day. Well, this has been very informative and enlightening. We appreciate the time you spent with us, Dr. Naughton. Well, it's a, it's a great pleasure to be with you, Steve. And obviously the work that uh, Christians in Commerce is doing is, uh, has been great work over the years. And it's a way of um, fostering and promoting God's kingdom in the workplace. And I'm very grateful for what you do. Well, thank you. God bless you. God bless you too. Thanks for listening to this podcast. You'll want to check out our website at workingforourfather.com. It's constantly being updated with new content to support you and others in living your faith at work.